You're listening to Atomic Moms, a modern parenting podcast about the joys and complexities of caring for our children and ourselves. I'm Ellie Noss, and since 2014, we've been celebrating and commiserating with world-class experts, best-selling authors, and parents around the world. Hi, everyone. As you may know, my word for 2020 is reboot. So we recently had Hillary Peterson on the podcast uh, discussing her skincare line, True Botanicals, because we were wanting to learn more about clean beauty. And now we are going to be heading into our closets with Courtney Carver. I'm going to read her bio uh, for the few of you who aren't familiar with her work. I got to give a big shout out to my stepmother, who we all call Yaya, because she was extra thrilled. She saw the galley copy of Courtney's book on my kitchen table, and she almost fell over. So our guest, Courtney Carver, launched her blog, Be More With Less, in 2010 and is one of the top bloggers in the world on the subject of minimalism. She's been featured in countless articles, podcasts, and interviews on simplicity. She's the best-selling author of Soulful Simplicity and the creator of the Minimalist Fashion Challenge, Project 333, which is now available wherever books are sold. So that is the bio that I got for this interview. But when I finished Courtney's book last night, I got all teary because, you know, there's always the page at the end and it says about the author. And I've got to read to you what she shares at the end of that. Carver doesn't have an impressive degree, awards, or a big fancy home full of stuff. Instead, she selectively surrounds herself with her favorite things and the people she loves. She does work she truly cares about, goes on adventures in the world or in her own backyard, and likes chai lattes with almond milk while reading or writing. Courtney, please accept a very warm almond milk latte-like welcome to Atomic Moms. Thank you so much. I was really struck by that last paragraph of your bio. It really gets like tears in the corners of my eyes. And I think it's something that so many of us are seeking. You know, we have spent decades chasing, you know, reaching out for that brass ring. So many of us feel like we're not enough whether it's you're on Instagram and you see how many likes or followers or the check mark someone else has by their name, feels like there's all these ways of measuring ourselves to others versus really taking an inventory of our own lives and what we want it to be. So I was really touched by the humility that you model in your About the Author page. But I got to say, there is nothing minimal about your following I think it's a fair to say that you're officially Pinterest famous and your blog gets nearly a million page views a month. So why do you think that your message of living simply is something that so many of us are yearning for right now? I think for many people, especially women who, like me, was doing that constant comparing and competing and always trying to prove ourselves a lot of us just get to the point where we think, and then what? Hmm. Like, and, and to what end am I doing all of this hoop jumping and ladder climbing? Why? I didn't get to those questions for a really long time 
when I started simplifying my life, it really wasn't about that. But because I had created so much space and time in my life, I could finally really ask those questions so that as I moved, especially as I moved into new work, I wouldn't really fall, I guess, almost fall victim to that same mentality because I did that for so long and it was just exhausting. Mm. Is any of it coming back up for you now that you have this book launch? Not really. I mean, I would say not in terms of the competing and comparing. Um, And because I think it's my second book launch, I have a little bit of knowledge in terms of how, how things unfold and how quickly it all moves and how... It's super exciting for a hot minute, and then mm-hmm. it, it just kind of becomes part of your body of work, which I love. Uh, so I try not to give it too much pressure because it goes so fast that if I'm not paying attention, it's just going to go right by. Mm. Now, my first question, Courtney, it goes out. It's for my uncle Brock. He's he has two grown sons he raised by himself, and he listens to Atomic Moms in his pickup truck on our family farm in West Virginia. So this question is for him because I'm sure, I'm sure deep down he's wondering it. Courtney, what is a capsule wardrobe? He doesn't know. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. A capsule wardrobe is just a fancy term for having a small selection of your favorite items in your closet instead of all the items. So does that, when when we see that online, are there usually, like what makes it a capsule? Like, is it, can you have a thousand items in it? What is the general <laughs> consensus about what those requirements are? I don't know if there's an exact number of items that makes up a capsule wardrobe. It's a term that really took off in the 70s and has definitely had a resurgence. And now it's been very redefined by people all in all different ways, which I love. So there isn't one right way to do it. I would say a thousand items though, probably too many. In my case, 33 items is the right mm-hmm. number, but there's nothing magical to that number. For some people, it's 10 clothing items, and then a lot of different accessories and jewelry and shoes. For some people, it's 40 items, counting everything all together. It's it's less about the number and just more about the concept that owning less will allow you to not only appreciate the things you have more, but let you focus your time and energy on things that really matter to you. Mm. So how did you come up with 333? So Project 333, which is now a book, started as a personal closet experiment for me because even though I had been simplifying my life for a really long time, I didn't simplify my clothes and my closet, mostly because I thought I needed everything in there, I loved everything in there, and that I loved to go shopping. So I kind of backburnered that part of my life until everything else got so much simpler that it was very apparent that a change needed to happen within the chaos that was my closet. So I created a fashion challenge where I promised myself and the internet 
that I would dress with 33 items or less for three months. And within those 33 items, I counted things like clothes, accessories, jewelry, and shoes, and didn't count underwear, sleepwear, loungewear, or workout clothes. That's how it started. And were people shocked that you were able to make it the three months? And what did you learn from that experience? In the very beginning, even before I started, there was a mixed reaction from people. Some people thought it was crazy. Some people thought it sounded really interesting and wanted to do it themselves. And for me, I was kind of in both camps. I thought it was crazy and that it was really interesting. And I wasn't sure how it would turn out. I was working full time. I thought maybe people would notice. I thought that I wouldn't have enough. But because I didn't get rid of all my extra stuff, there was really no pressure. Like if this was a complete failure, I mean, I wouldn't have really lost anything. So I just kind of went into it with an open mind. And it turned out that it really worked for me so much. In fact, that today, almost 10 years later, I still dress with about 33 items for less every three months. My biggest question with this, and I'm sure you get it a lot, is like, how do you deal with the laundry? Because even those of us who are on the fence about doing Project 333, you know, a lot of us are doing spring break with the kids. So travel always sets limitations when it comes to our wardrobes. Now, I've read that you only ever pack a carry-on. So how do you handle the laundry issue? Like, forget I get that if we're at home, I can do it. But when you're on a trip and you only have a carry-on, like I just, how do I deal with my BO? This question always makes me smile. I never anticipated how fascinated people were with laundry, but it is, I would say, the top th- in the top three questions that I get <laughs> about the challenge. And the funny thing is, is that I don't do any more or less laundry. Like I still have to wash the clothes that I wear the same amount of times and it just doesn't change anything. The the things that have changed for me is, first of all, I do laundry better than I used to. So for instance, I wash everything in cold water and I line dry most of my items because I want them to last longer. And I know the dryer can really beat up our clothes. And if I'm traveling, I'll either, like if I'm going on an extended trip, because for me, it doesn't matter if it's a weekend or a month, I'm still only bringing a carry-on. I am not going to waste a minute waiting for my bags. I just can't tolerate that. So I'll either, if I'm staying long, I'll stay at an Airbnb that might have a washing machine, or I will go to a laundromat or I'll wash a couple of items. Like not every single thing that I wear has to be washed to be reworn. Is there a particular soap you like to use for like hotel sinks? No, there isn't. I really, I'm not that fussy about it. You're so minimalist. I love it. (laughs) Like in my house, I like to use, and I can't even remember the name of the brand off the top of my head, but a really um, clean laundry soap and unscented, gentle, good for you. Um, But I can't think of a time where I was really stressed out. I mean, sometimes I would just use the hotel shampoo Mm -hmm. and gosh, it's all soap. And, And in that same train of thought, 
I wash all my clothes together. So I know some people just disconnected and can never <laughs> think about this again because I'm a horrible person, but I wash my darks and my lights and my towels and my workout clothes it all goes in together mm-hmm. and everything's okay. Well, it's also because you have it with cold water, which is helpful. I'm laughing because we went on a trip recently where I couldn't bring a lot of things. Oh, it was last summer. We went, we were in France. And in order for me to bring very few things, I ended up buying many things (laughs) to try to make it work. Like I bought a line hanger so that I could hang up my wet clothes. I bought a laundress soap bar so that I could do the soap in the sink. And now I'm just laughing at myself because I couldn't find the soap. But like this idea that we end up buying all of this junk to try to help us minimize. So that was such a, I love that you just shared the like, no, you don't have a special soap. I, (laughs) I also, so my first thought was laundry and how I need to find a really good deodorant and listeners out there, please message me on Instagram if you've got a great natural deodorant, because I really need help in that department. Well, we were talking about clean beauty products earlier, and I think deodorant's such a big one if you can find a good one to replace traditional deodorant with. And it's by a company called Primally Pure. And the scent that I like the most is called Blue Tansy, but they have a geranium, a charcoal, uh, uh, lots of different ones, but I tried a handful that didn't work out so well. And this is a keeper for me. Oh, I love it. Um, my second thought was, okay, if I can only have 33 items, I want to go on Pinterest and find someone else's board where they've linked, you know, the most beautiful striped boat neck shirt and I'm going to buy these things and then I'll start it. And you immediately say in your work, like, do not do that. And I want you to share with our listeners, like, why we shouldn't spend money up front making, you know, the most of our 33 items by, you know, getting out the credit card. I definitely recommend that one do not item. Don't shop before you start Project 333 or start to create a capsule wardrobe because it is tempting to go to Pinterest or Instagram and look for the perfect capsule collection and then replicate that. But that's what got us in trouble in the first place. At least for me, I was always paying attention to, you know, what is the perfect little black dress? What jeans must I own (laughs) to have, you know, the best looking butt? What like all of the, I, I fell for it every single time. And then I ended up with this giant collection of clothes that I hardly ever wore because those recommendations were not what was best for my body. Mm. It was what was best for that publication or that advertising agency or that internet ad, whatever it is, it wasn't best for me. Mm -hmm. And so it was really important for me to first start with what I had and figure out what fit my body, what fit my lifestyle. And then after the three months, I had a better understanding of what I really wanted and needed in my closet. Not a perfect understanding, just a better understanding. And over time, that has become more and more clear to me. And I love that the idea that we can 
we are opening ourselves up to the possibility of change. So we start off thinking, oh, well, maybe these will be the things that we need. But when we're actually examining what we already have, acknowledging that the that we're works in progress, that this experiment is an example of that, that that we will probably also be stripping away other things that add clutter to our life. Can you share some examples of ways that that people have changed since starting this small step towards minimalism? Sure. It's really an opportunity for people to sample minimalism or sample a simpler life without making any permanent changes, which is why I think it's so attractive to people. It's not like you get rid of everything else except for those 33 items. You simply get them out of sight and for three months, see how it feels to dress with fewer items. So people have experienced so many different things, different benefits from things as as simple as an easier morning, like having a little more time to enjoy a coffee or tea or spend time with your kids and not feel like you're rushing everybody out the door, um, which I speak to from personal experience. <laughs> and so from something as simple as that, which maybe isn't that simple, it's pretty life-changing to start your day without being completely stressed out. Yeah. But bigger things like less anxiety and depression, um, saving money to pay down debt, creating this confidence that, and I experienced this too, where so much of my confidence used to come from the outside like I dressed a certain way to prove who I was or to demonstrate how I wanted people to see me. Mm-hmm. But I was forgetting that that confidence doesn't come from the stuff you put on your body. It's from what's within your body, right? What's mm-hmm. inside. Mm-hmm. So some pretty profound changes. And then it kind of has this snowball effect where you see how much nicer it is to dress with fewer items in your closet What would it be like if I only had one wire whisk instead of 10 in my kitchen (laughs) (laughs) or whatever it is? Like, where else can I pare down in my life so that I have the energy to focus on what matters to me? Oh, my God. Only one wire whisk. Like, what am I going to do in the checkout line of Marshalls (laughs) if you're telling me I only need one wire whisk? Um, Speaking of money, you know, I... In my research for our conversation, like I just love nothing more than like geeking out over our incredible guests like you today. You know, you're so proud that your daughter doesn't have debt. And I'm curious if you can talk a little more about how this approach can improve our relationship with money. Yes. Well, I mentioned my daughter because she was, I'm thinking she was probably around 12 years old when we really started digging into our debt and paying it off. And so it wasn't really us teaching her about money, but her watching us take these steps to, you know, change our lifestyle so that we could pay down the debt. We were very open about talking about it and not, I don't even know if at that point I was thinking like, oh, she's going to really learn a lot from this, but it was Mm -hmm. just the reality of the situation. We had to make changes. And now she's 24 and has no debt. 
And she often will say it's from, you know, really being in that with you guys and watching the shifts that you had to make in your life. So it took probably three years for us to become completely debt-free. And I had been in debt my entire adult life. So it never considered, it never occurred to me that I would be debt-free at some point or that it would have the incredible impact that it did. But wow, letting go of Mm. debt was so freeing, released so much stress. And again, it was something that I could drop my attention from. I didn't have to worry about people calling me and asking for money or being overdue Mm. on bills or having to make decisions based solely on the financial outcome. You also speak a lot about boundaries um, on your website, and you've mentioned it on your podcast that we'll get to in a minute. And on Instagram, you have the simple phrase, say yes less. And I love that. I've been a really big fan of saying yes less. Um, But I need your advice, Courtney, because (laughs) I, I... Okay, so I've gotten really good when someone asks us to do something as a family on the weekend, it's now much easier for me to say, oh, I'm so sorry, we've got other family obligations. Like that no is simple and direct. And I've gotten really good at like not over explaining myself and not feeling guilty about it. But I really need help when it comes to work. Because my version now of saying yes less is this like awful, unprofessional email ghosting thing which is gross and awful to admit, but I get so many incoming requests and I'm sure you do as well with your business. And I have a really hard time just saying like, no, right now is not good. I just ignore it. What do you do about incoming requests? Like how do you say yes less with integrity and with kindness, but with a firm boundary? Well, those boundaries are the key and it's having those boundaries in advance of replying to those emails. So I know that there are certain things within my business that I don't do at all. So I don't accept guest posts. I don't accept advertising on the blog. I don't participate in online summits. There are a handful of things that are just, they're always a no, which makes it really nice because There's no decision-making every single time. Mm -hmm. And so when those requests come in, as long as they're not just like spammed out requests to a lot of different people, but they actually use my name and seem to know, um, you know, have maybe been on my website or something, like it's a genuine request. Mm -hmm. I respond to every single one of those emails with kindness and say, I don't do that but I want to wish you the best with whatever it is that they're doing. And that's it. It's, it's, a, it's typically a one or two sentence reply. And I do genuinely wish them the best. And this is not something that is part of my business. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's, that's the first step. And, and also replying quickly because... The, the the worst thing is when you read an email and you start considering something and you you know you don't want to do it, yeah. but you don't know how to say no. So you think, well, maybe I'll say yes, but not right now. And then it just sits there in your inbox. I've mm-hmm. done this as well. <laughs> yeah. 
and it weighs on you. And yeah. then eventually you still say no, or you say nothing, and then you feel crappy for not responding at all. So if you have the space and time to respond, I just think make it quick mm-hmm. and, uh, and be grateful. Courtney, I would really love for you to describe your pre-minimalism self to our listeners and share what your wake-up call was to get intentional about how you live your life. Sure. Well, pre-minimalist me was not saying no to a lot of things. In fact, (laughs) (laughs) saying yes to everything, running Mm. late for everything, falling behind on everything, feeling guilty about everything, and still like striving because what I had was never enough. Um, I always needed to make more money to keep up with the debt. I had to, you know, show how I could do it all, like be the perfect mom and the perfect, um, the perfect worker, the, the perfect person. It was this like always striving and never making ends meet life. And not to say I didn't have a lot of fun in there from time to time too, but for the most part, I was pretty overwhelmed and burnt out and everyone around me was kind of running that same race. So it felt very normal. And I thought maybe this is what adulting feels like. It just feels crazy and unsustainable, but I'm just going to keep pushing and we'll get through it. And then in 2006, that all kind of came to a head when after months of not feeling well, I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. And that really stopped me in my tracks. And at first not, like at first, all I did was be scared and not know what was happening and feel um, very sad and scared. But very shortly after that, I thought, what? now what? What am I going to do about this? And I started researching and learning about multiple sclerosis and what causes decline and how people are living well with MS. And everything I researched seemed to come back to stress and how damaging that was. And so I decided to eliminate as much stress as possible from my life. And when I made that declaration, I'm sure anyone who heard me was like, okay, like (laughs) life is stress. How, what are you Mm -hmm. thinking? But, and I didn't know how I would do it. I wasn't thinking about simplicity. I didn't know what minimalism was. I was only thinking, I've got to figure this out. Like, how am I going to get rid of stress in my life? How old was your daughter at the time of your diagnosis? She was nine or 10 when I was diagnosed. Looking back, let's say the first year or two after your diagnosis, how did that change the way that you parented? Well, well, I'll start by saying that the probably the worst part of all of this, and I'm like squeezing my eyes right now so I don't mm. just burst into tears, was telling her. Yeah. Like that was hard. And being, and a lot of people told me not to, you know, I got a lot of advice that I shouldn't share this diagnosis with my child, with my um, coworkers, my bosses. And I rejected that advice 
for so many reasons. Um, the main one being that my daughter is smart and mm. she would know something is going on. And if I didn't tell her what it was, she would think it was worse. At least that's what I thought. And so I was upfront in telling her and telling her that, you know, for the next little while, we're going to be talking a lot about this. I'm going to be figuring it out, but it's not going to be our everyday life. And it's going to settle in and we're going to find our new normal and we're just going to see how it goes. And I think that being that open and honest with her then really helped us later whenever she would have questions or about anything. Like we were just open about things Mm. uh, because like, why shouldn't we be like our kids deserve to know what's happening in their lives? Because even though that MS diagnosis was mine, it was happening to her too. I recently shared that my husband was diagnosed about six months after our second daughter was born with rheumatoid arthritis, which is another autoimmune disease. And he, I finally made him, he had a lot of different issues, but the one that made me really like put my foot down and say, you've got to go to a rheumatologist and figure out like why you're having all these different problems. Like there's an underlying cause was when I saw him struggling to put the baby socks on Eliza, like he couldn't use his hands. So hard. It is. Uh, and, and I didn't share it on the podcast for the past couple of years because of that. Yeah. The, what, you know, you said other people are saying like, don't tell your bosses, like don't, you know, that the fear of, yeah, I mean, in our society in general, like the idea of any sort of weakness or illness is scary because the support isn't obvious, but it's there. And then the people you attract when you are living honestly is so beautiful. Like there is the people, the way that people show up for you when you're able to show up for yourself or just state the truth. <sighs> just to watch his struggle, but also the ways of living and sort of that inventory that he is taking about what he does want to do with his life and how he can reduce his stress and what really matters. It's so powerful. And it's really incredible how you have channeled this very difficult disease and created a platform that can help all of us wake up to what really matters in our life and, you know, defining it for ourselves. Do you have any suggestions for parents out there that might be in the early stages of an illness where they are feeling, I mean, obviously this is such a personal question. I mean, let's just, let's call a spade a spade. I'm like literally asking for my family. Like we are, we are in a stage where those words that you shared earlier come up a lot. Overwhelm, unsustainable. You know, these are things that are said at, at our kitchen table. So what, what do you say to us? Because it's so beautiful how you are walking the walk and you've been doing this for so many years now. Uh, if only there was that one solution that fixed everything. I mean, I've definitely come a long way, but I'm still figuring life out, of course. 
Uh, one thing I can say is that in like in sharing that diagnosis with people, when other people told me not to, it was that first step in not pretending anymore. Like I wasn't going to pretend I was someone that I wasn't. And this became part of me. So I wasn't going to pretend anymore that I was an extrovert when I was an introvert. Mm -hmm. I was not going to pretend that I loved selling advertising when in fact I didn't like it at all. Uh, I wasn't going to pretend that I loved going out at night and hanging out with a bunch of people when I didn't enjoy that. Mm -hmm. So it, the permissions that I've given myself based on how I've allowed the conversations around my MS has just been remarkable. Like the, the things that have changed in my life, most of them really have nothing to do with MS at all. Um, but being able to not pretend and to start to trust myself, which I had never done before. I mean, never, I never trusted that I knew what was best for me. And wow. that wasn't really something I needed to learn. I just needed to decide to do it. And yeah, I don't get it right every time, but I save so much energy not worrying about what other people are going to think about my decisions that it's so worth it. Mm. And now you've kicked off this podcast with your daughter. It's, I love the title of it, Soul and Wit. Thank so you. you guys are a mother-daughter duo. <laughs> Bailey does it with you. She's 24 years old. And tell, what's the best part about having a podcast with your grown kid? That oh just my seems gosh. like so much fun. We're having fun such a blast. It is so much fun. I mean, for me, it gives me another outlet to to talk about things. So while the blog is really focused on simplicity, as is most of my writing, I have other parts of me and like have other thoughts about mm -hmm. the world and things. And so this podcast is a place where we talk about our favorite things that aren't things and really get to share ideas with each other and have conversations. And it, it kind of sprouted from these mo morning phone calls that we have. You know, Bailey calls me in the morning when she's out walking her dog and we just chat. And sometimes I look up and it's been an hour and we're talking and I thought, and I always feel so good after talking to her. And I thought we, this should, other people should be able to benefit <laughs> from these conversations. <laughs> so it's been really fun. You know, because I have a six-year-old and a two-year-old, I'm so curious, like, what, why, what simple tools can you suggest for us with younger children to be able to create a relationship that's that strong with your child at 24? I mean, recognize that there are people with their own curiosities, own minds. Uh, we don't have to put our expectations and goals and hopes and dreams on our children. In fact, I think that's really a disservice because most of the time they want to make us happy so much mm -hmm. that they'll follow that path and do those things and try to make you proud as a parent. But that might not be what they want for their own lives. And I think eventually that comes back mm -hmm. in maybe a negative way. So just support what they want. And, and I'm not saying that um, your two-year-old should just run her own life today, mm -hmm. 
She's but, trying. She's definitely yeah. trying. <laughs> <laughs> but as it's as it's age appropriate for sure to to just let go of that because that, yeah. that striving that you hold on to your you, onto yeah. that striving that you hold on to for yourself, you eventually bring that to your kids. And Ugh. you don't do that to be malicious. It just happens. And so really be paying attention to when you say, I want what's best for my child. Do you want what you think is best based on what you thought would have been best for you? Or do you want to see if they can figure out to trust themselves and know what's best for themselves? Last question, Courtney. How can our listeners who are going to go out and buy your book, Project 333, The Minimalist Fashion Challenge That Proves Less Really Is So Much More, they're going to get the book and then they're going to get all of your guidelines and suggestions and, you know, potential rules they can break. You have it all in here. But if they want to start the, tackling this right now, how would they begin? Okay. All of the Project 333 resources you need to get started are online. So you could go to my website, bemorewithless.com. You could Google Project 333. The rules are out there on the internet. Uh, it's much, we unpack a lot more in the book, but if so you much more get started today. Yeah. You can really just empty your closet out. I'm going to make this sound so much easier than people may think it is. Pick your 33 items and then hide everything else and see how things go for three months. And then if you need more details, support, inspiration, help, check out the website or um, DM me on Instagram at Be More With Less and I'll help you. Thank you so much, Courtney. And everyone, go subscribe to Soul & Wit Podcast as well. Uh, you can get Courtney's book. It's out on March 3rd, 2020. I'm sure that was not an accident. <laughs> three, an accident. three, twenty. And thank you again, Courtney, for spending this time with us. And you did such a beautiful job in sharing all of this. Oh my gosh, so did you. This was so nice. Such a nice conversation. Okay, everyone. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. Share this podcast with friends. You know, your word of mouth means everything to this independent podcast. And join our newsletter. You can find it at atomicmoms.com. I'm currently releasing new episodes every other week, so don't miss them. Again, sign up for our email episode announcements. Until next time, trust in your goodness, live out your greatness. Rock on, Atomic Moms. Thank you.